At its 2003 symposium, Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation invited Scott Elliott, Stage Director and Artistic Director of the new group, to give a keynote speech on directing in multiple mediums, running a theater company, and life as an artist. This thought-provoking conversation covers the diverse aspects of artistic leadership. Hello, I'm SDC Director Choreographer Edie Cowan, and you are listening to Masters of the Stage. This program is produced by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation and presented by the SDCF and the American Theatre Wing. The SDCF has released these archives in an effort to further education regarding the crafts of direction and choreography. Because this program was not initially recorded for the purpose of broadcast, it is not of the highest technical quality. Portions of the conversation may have been edited to improve the overall quality of the broadcast. One of the goals of this symposium is to offer rising artists a chance to draw on the experience of established artists. So it seemed fitting to begin with a paraphrase from Harold Prince, who said at last year's symposium, half the game is having the courage to express yourself and perhaps go where some go someplace where you haven't seen yourself go before. I don't think there is much in the world that is new, but it could be new to you and new to your audience, depending on what inspires you. So with that in mind, was there a person or event that inspired you to leave performing and direct instead? And who do you continue to draw on for your inspirations? Well, uh, an event that drove me out of performing and directing, I think, was when I was in Wind Miz. I like, because you know, I really, truly, I wanted to be a singer and a dancer. That's what I studied to do my entire life. And so when I finally got it, I was, I was quite young, I was in my early 20s, and uh, got this kind of thing, and I thought, wow, here I am on Broadway, you know, blah, 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 but it didn't, uh, it didn't do it for me. I was very, very bored, and I didn't care for it after a while, and I thought, wow, if this is, you know, Broadway, then what am I going to do for the rest of my life? So I stepped right off that turntable, <laughs> I, uh, uh, no, ironically, I was just—I went to the closing of that show last week. It's quite a bizarre event to actually see it 15 years later. Um, uh, and no, and so I really—I wasn't going to become a director. I, wanted, I, I decided I was going to become a psychologist. I went to—I uh, went to NYU to pursue a PhD in psychology. And then I decided that that really wasn't my bag. <laughs> After a while, I was working with them with really heavy drug addicts, and it was just it was not my bag. <laughs> it was like, for a while, it was all right. But it was good. They helped the directing. I have to say, it helped, it helped the learning. You know, working with uh, drug addicts, <laughs> working with actors is not as bad as working with drugs. So, uh, uh, so I, I just kind of, uh, you know, decided I was still an artist. But I, I, I knew that I, I, I kind of always wanted to direct. Like everybody, I guess, wants uh, I, I have worked with a lot of different directors in my short acting career, like pretty good directors, and thought that that, felt that, that was felt comfortable to me, like that idea of that felt comfortable to me. So I basically started the new group because I knew that, uh, like, all this, what am I going to do? You say, who I'm the director, hire me? You know, I, like, well, I didn't want to go back to school and get like a master's in directing. I just didn't like doing that. You know, I wanted to. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but at that point in my life, I just had had a lot of experience. You know, I just wanted to kind of do 
do, I want to create, I, you know. Um, so I started the new group, actually. That's, that's basically what I did. I found out about how to do it, and I figured out that I had to, uh, you know, kind of form a business in order to kind of get money, the little money that I got at the time. And I just used to, you know, with my friends, we used to do plays and build sets. Basically, what it was, I, I spent all my money that I had saved, you know, working as an actor on it, and <laughs> how did you uh, how did you go from uh, I can hear myself how did you go from uh, incorporating yourself in 1991 to getting the rights to do I guess Curtains was the big the first no, major the show first thing that we did that was kind of major for well they, they were all major really I mean I had a we did a slew of plays before uh, this play Mike Lee's Ecstasy this play that, that we did that was kind of our breakout play and that Notice that got pressed, but I thought we were doing great work up until then. But I never, I, you know, I wasn't, um, I, I wasn't ambitious in the business end. I was ambitious in the creative end. So I had, like, I was doing all of this stuff, but in a sense, spending most of all of my money to live, and I was, you know, going broke and paying my rent on charge cards and just, you know, uh, you know, doing going that way, you know, with it because of the work. I was really enjoying the work. I felt. When I first started directing, I thought, oh, I, I felt expressed. And I was getting encouragement from my friends, you know, my artist friends who I respected, that I actually should continue doing it. If they had said, you know, you stink and these shows are horrible, I probably would have, you know, gone back to NYU and finished my PhD or something. But I was getting encouragement, so I decided to continue to pursue it. And, um, you know, I went broke in the, uh, you know, in, in the pursuit of it. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, you know, I just happened to do this play, and it was before Mike Lee was really known. I mean, he was a little bit known. But it's like the year known. before Secrets and Lies came out, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think it was like prepping Secrets and Lies when I was doing it. Mm-hmm. Secrets and Lies, yeah, exactly. And, uh, uh, you know, they kind of came to me with that play. They heard I was doing some plays. You know, I had a little tiny space on 42nd Street on the third floor. It was tiny, you know. Uh, and um, then they, uh, I just did that play, and for some reason, the New York Times came. I didn't, you know, I didn't have a press agent or anything like that. And literally, they came, and I went to bed, and woke up the next morning, and I had a completely different life. Mm-hmm. It really happened. <laughs> it was just one of those weird, fluky things where, you know, I, I mean, it was bizarre. It was just a strange sort of, you know, odd thing. And uh, it was, I was lucky, you know, that certain thing. I was just doing my thing. I, I got lucky, but I wasn't uh, going after it at the time. And, Changed my life considerably in many ways, that's for the good, and then some things that I, you know, I question. But you know that there is that uh, sort of thing that comes with that sort of level of work, and uh, that's what happens. Did you intend? I heard to... follow. Oh, Actually, I see. the guy who wrote curtains was uh, Mike Lee's best friend, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> who uh, uh, who I met through Mike Lee, and he and I he sent me this play curtains, and I, I thought I thought that was cool. So it's just the same sort of thing. So at that point, like. You know, there was a, there was press where there was never that before, and I learned what it was like to actually have sellouts and have a show made because we're ecstasy around like a year. Mm-hmm. So it was strange to have that actually all of a sudden the organization to have money. It wasn't a lot of money, but it was you know it was a whole other sort of thing that I had to get used to and understand how to you know fund an organization that all of a sudden had money. It was it was a big freak out. It was, it was interesting in retrospect, but it was a freak out. Yeah. Did you intend to? Uh, produce principally new works from the beginning? 
or you know, did you sort I, of have you know, it like I that? I started the organization so that it wouldn't evolve. You know, I never wanted it to be, oh, we only do this, or we do, and you know, that in a sense has helped and hurt. It's helped the organization creatively, but it's hurt us funding-wise because we don't fit into a niche. We, I, you know, I refuse to, to have a theater, a niche theater, like where we only do X or we only do Y or we only do this or we only do that because to me, the world is just not like that. It changes. That's why I called it the new group. So, so I, I always wanted it to feel new, you know, that I wanted to kind of change with the world. And I refuse to let, um, you know, brand people and foundations and stuff like that dictate to me, you know, and, and as a result, I've lost money as a result of it. But, that, you know, that's cool with me. But, um, uh, I refuse to let that happen. So, so when when you you've got a stack of plays, you and, and Ian Morgan, your associate artistic director, what what draws you to a play? What are you looking for? What are you hoping you know, to it's find? Hard. That's a tough question. I'm in the middle of it right now because I'm trying to plan what to do next year. My own thing is Okay. You do show by show. You don't do a whole season. No, we do, and ultimately we have to. We're actually in the middle of. We're actually next year going to be taking over a, our own. They're forcing me to stop being a gypsy. You know, I, kind of, I kind of over the years have resisted, you know, like, you know, having a marquee or something that's, you know, a space where I always have to do all of the shows and that sort of thing. But I, now I, have, I kind of have to. Part of the, I guess, evolution of the thing. Uh, but it's, it's difficult to pick, pick the shows because so many things to pick from. You know, that's, that's always a tough thing. But, Ian kind of weeds them out because we get so many a day. It's amazing when you, if any of you ever start a theater and you hang out your shingle, how many people send plays or how many people around the world or even in the country that are playwrights that get these books that say you're up, you know, you're in a theater. We get tons of, tons of plays. And we have people who read them. You know, uh, uh, often we use people from NYU in the, in the playwriting program to help us read. And uh, then eventually Ian will pass things on to me. Or I get recommendations from agents or people, other artists that I know about something that might be right for me. But I never really am attracted to the same thing. And that's also a problem because you can't fit into a niche. Like I just respond to things on an emotional level. So if I have an emotional response to something, that's when I know I have to put it in the pile to consider. And then basically, you look at your budget and how many, you know, like anything else, how many actors you can hire that year, or how many, you know, how many big productions versus a small production, or how you kind of balance all that sort of stuff out. You kind of go through that process, but it, it starts from an emotional response. Like, do, is it, do I do I turn the pages? And that's just the beginning. Because then you have to put it together, and often it comes out not the way you plan, which is always is is hard and painful. And you have a deep responsibility, you feel a deep responsibility to the writers as an artistic director. Because sometimes you, you put a director and a cast together on a particular play that you love that just doesn't help the play. Sometimes you have the opposite thing where you put together a thing and it just takes it to that other level. But it's, you know, it, it is a 50 50 sort of thing. It's, it's funny. So for people who are, are developing their new plays and musicals, what, what do you feel is necessary in order to further their process? Well, further their creative process or their yeah, business process? Well, both. Is it both? Well, yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's just totally different thing. It's very, very hard to get a production. You know, and, you know it's just, just very, very hard. It takes a lot of, uh, I guess, persist, you know, artistic persistence and emotional persistence. 
I think that it's you know it's really really hard to, to get a production. I mean I don't I can't advise anybody. I mean, we just did our first musical. Musicals are so expensive, you know. I, and I was always afraid to take a risk on doing a musical because of the amount of money that it costs, even on the level of the new group, which is like you know a way low off Broadway sort of the actors make very little, the directors make very little, you know, everybody makes very little. We put all the money into productions, but Avenue Q uh, was so expensive that we had to be partnered with the Vineyard, we had to partner with the Vineyard and uh, was a very, very expensive uh, show. Once, once again, thank God it paid off. It's going to move to Broadway and so we're going to get money off of it. But if it if it didn't, we would have had to have kissed a lot of, a lot of money goodbye because you have to lose money on all the productions. We all lose money. That, that's why they call it not the profit. It's like, you know, well, it's true. They give you all this money. You have to spend it. You know, I mean, there's never enough, but you have to, at the end of the year, you have to have spent all of the money. You have to have done art for all of the money. So, so when you're hiring a director, you as a director hiring a director to direct one of the new group shows, right. what are you looking for? Is there a quality, a type of communication? Well, I first and foremost look for, for nice Really, people who are just kind of you know, you know who, who are who are, who are nice and seem you know saying. <laughs> like, you know, I've had a couple of coups and that's never fun. But um, but uh, it is fun to, to work with people who are nice and who are saying. And ultimately, it's about how they respond to material and how the writer and the uh, author get it off. You know, um, that sort of thing. Like I said, we only do three shows a year. I do one of them. Sometimes two of them, you know, and so they really. I'm not hiring tons of directors, you know. Like, and most of the directors that I work with are people I have relationships with, people I've grown up with in the industry, you know, people who I've. Because the the the, the, the difficult thing about putting these plays together, and just in this particular world of the theater as it is today, you know, in order to fill the seats in the theater, you need some sort of something that's going to get people in the seats. And it's not very often an unknown writer and an unknown director. And that's the difficult... I mean, for me, like I would love nothing more than to do that all the time. Because it's fun. To me, I love birthing people. I mean, every year I do something. I take a, you know, I take a risk and try to have an unknown director or an unknown writer or both. Usually one in one a year. But uh, even so, it's difficult often to sell those shows. Like, I can never put an unknown writer with an unknown director. Because then I can't really draw cast. You know what I mean? Because the cast, you know, oh, then I'll need a name in it in order to get people to see. It's just a, it's a terrible, it's, it's, it's really the downside of, of the whole thing is that you actually have to fill the seats. And the, the attitude of, you know, the audiences today are, uh, I want to be, I wanna, I'm paying $50 for a show. I want to see something that's going to wow me, whether it be an actor or some director I've heard or read about or a writer I've read about. It's one of the unfortunate things about programming and arts and arts, you know, and kind of discouraging things about it. Can you talk about the difference between the challenges you face working with independent producers as opposed to institutional, such as the Roundabout, or productions produced by the new group? Oh, well, it's totally different because when you work, when you take the responsibility of doing a commercial production on Broadway that isn't, that isn't um, you know, a Roundabout, not-for-profit sort of thing, and even then, these days, because everything is so expensive, that you're taking an incredible amount of millions of dollars of burden on your work. So you have to, you know, you can't, you have to collaborate with people if you want to do something for millions of 
dollars because you have to help. You have to make decisions ultimately that are going to help build the, the, the theater sequence. So you have to have an actor in it. Well, you'll never get the millions of dollars to do it, and if you don't have the, it's just a catch twenty two. If you don't have the millions of dollars, you can't do anything on Broadway because that's what it costs. So it's it, it's a whole sort of thing. It's, it, it was an education for me, you know, kind of making the move in that direction because, of course, I was trying. I always wanted to hold on to everything, but eventually I realized, you know, even in my, you know, as I grew as a producer and my budgets grew at my own theater, I, I grew to realize that there, it's an incredible responsibility. And then I started thinking about how many, how many um, hundreds of thousands of dollars I was, my theater was just losing, or you know, that I wasn't being, I wasn't producing responsibly for the time, you know, and that you have to look at the world out there, and you know, in a sense do something with your work that's going to get people to come and see it. And it's very, it's a very, very tricky thing. But in the Broadway situation, um, the roundabout is a very, I have a, you know, a, a creative carte blanche at a place like the roundabout because that's a, that's a not-for-profit theater. And, you know, they don't, they, I mean, obviously you have to make decisions because it's still millions of dollars of putting names in the show so that people are going to come see it. It's going to fill a Broadway theater because you can't afford to do a a Broadway show where only you know a quarter of the orchestra is full. It's just a bizarre the way it is. But I, I think that in the in the commercial world, you're dealing with people who are writing their own checks, <laughs> and that's a whole other sort of kind of you know level of producer of people who are going to their friends and telling their friends to write you know hundred thousand dollar checks, and so you're dealing with a level of producer who's extremely nervous. <laughs> It's a whole other sort of balance, uh, emotional balance of how to work with people who actually have their own money on the line. With the roundabout, it isn't Todd Haynes' own money. It's raised money. It's a not-for-profit theater company. So he, in a sense, is structured the same way as the little new group is structured, except on Broadway. And your first Broadway show was an independent production. Right, that was a commercial production. It was right. quite a leap. Yeah, it was really eye-opening. Yeah, it truly was. And it was all very fast and furious. Um, it happened really quickly. And I just, you know, my, the way I look at it is that I got this opportunity, I might as well take a plunge. You know, it's like either you do or you don't. You know? So I kind of went there. But it was great. It was actually ended up being a very positive experience. But it was a little bit nerve-wracking because I didn't really know what I was stepping into. You know, it was the only experience I had ever had. I had never assisted on Broadway, or I've never, I never was an assistant director. I'd only acted on I'd only been on Broadway, but I had never directed or been around a Broadway production except as a performer. So it was a, it was a different kind of experience, kind of eye-opening, and the stress level that was kind of you know, surrounding the whole thing was very interesting. The producer had a heart attack during the, truly, the producer had a heart attack like after the first preview. I mean, it was a wonderful first preview. Everybody was, was afraid of positive, but I guess, Take it, so we had a heart attack. So I was out of without a producer for like the first few. You just kind of have to go with the emotional flow of it. The theater draws a lot of interesting people. <laughs> it does. You know, I mean, I'm one of them, but it draws a lot of very interesting people, and you have to kind of you go with it. You absorb, you know, what you get, and you try to, you know, let everybody in, especially as a director, because you are, in a sense, the captain of the ship. You know, the, the producers look to you for the answers as well, even when you're looking to producers for it. Most of your work is in New York has been off-Broadway. Correct. So, what do you feel about the state of off-Broadway now as opposed to when you, when the new group really took off? 
yeah, you know, it's different now. Well, obviously everything changed with 9-11. I mean, that was, you know, as cliche as that sounds, the economy just stayed very, very different. It's different. And to survive, I mean, thank God, the new group had a, um, already had a reputation, otherwise it just probably would have folded. You know, I mean, we were given a lot of help after 9-11 because the production that we had in rehearsals at 9-11 was a complete play with no names in it. I mean, we had a, there was a named director involved, but it was a hard sell, and it was, it was completely utterly nerve-wracking to the point where I was like, well, you know, do I really need this aggravation? It really was very aggravating after 9-11. I mean, other than the sense of the world, the, the sense of the world in, in, in not-for-profit arts, which is like, you know, being enhanced, you know, uh, in, the, in the scheme of, I mean, truly, it's, it, it's, it has its level of importance to work, but at that time, nobody was caring about art, because it's not about that. Horrible. And so it was very, very stressful, but, you know, we, we, we pulled through. But everything everything changed then. It was really, the economy changed then. I saw a significant turn in just subscribers who were wanting to spend money, and, you know, we, we, had, to, we had to rethink our, our structure of how to fill our houses. Basically, that's when I realized that I had to do, I had to have people in the plays that were going to put below the seats. I knew that I had to, you know, even though we had in the past, but a lot of times our plays didn't have name actors, but made name actors out of people. And so I had to then think, okay, well, if we're going to fill our season, we have to do stuff. Which is one of the reasons I decided to do a musical, because I thought, you know, and especially this particular musical, because it was so, it really did, I, I, I just found it hilarious and heartwarming, and I thought, well, if I'm going to do it, I might as well do it now because it seems like the world really needs this sort of entertainment right now. And that's, you know, how I made those decisions. But it was, uh, it's very different now. Do you see a... Although at the same time, we have more money now. We've grown. So it's, a, you know, so it's... A, it's it's probably bizarre. With the show, it's pretty probably. Hopefully, yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so before or after 9-11, have you seen a trend, a, a change in the scripts that are coming your way? I, in all honesty, I don't like a lot of these scripts. You know, it's just um, the writing is thin, has grown thinner. I find you, you get know, scripts with like forty people on them. You know, well, I don't. I can't even look it up. Or I don't even look it up for scripts because that's you know, it's not producible. Why bother? You know, like I have so much to read. I can't possibly. I can't even. I never can catch up on the reading that I have to do. So, um, you know, I do notice that. You know, I actually feel that a lot of writers. This is this is writing has been thin lately. I don't know if it's just you know the younger writers that you know we're kind of attracted to or just influenced by different things or it felt a little bit felt a little bit thin. Um, you know I don't really know. I mean I, I've read a couple of 9/11 plays that now that I was actually considering last year but now feel dated. You know it's that sort of thing. It just feels you know so much has gone on since then that you know the world that but uh, you know but we develop a lot of our things like our new we're developing this play that I'm very excited about by this um, Palestinian American woman uh, that's about a Palestinian family living in Detroit in right after the first Gulf War, which I think is really fascinating. So I try to kind of keep my finger on the pulse of like kind of the writers who are kind of out there. And very rarely do we just kind of pick stuff on pilot scripts. We kind of create a lot of unless it's a revival. I'm going to do an Aunt Dan and Lemon. I think that that's a play that feels more more current now than it did when it was written. I don't know if you know that play, but it's a very interesting play by Wallace Shawn. 
and um, I'm trying to I'm trying to let the, the theater be expressive. You know, like what you know. I'm I'm actually I'm a current person. I try to read the newspapers, keep my head in the world, make decisions based on that. But um, so you were asking about the state of the work. Yeah. But yeah, I think that that's. I, I haven't really. I have to say, I haven't been that impressed with the plays I've read the past year or two. I mean, just those kind of piles of plays and the writers who are coming out of school. I've been less, been less impressed than I have been in the past. So uh, I want to sort of move into uh, process yeah. and ask you a, a process slash economics question. Yeah. You've had the opportunity to work with many stars in the past couple of years. How do you bring a sense of discipline into the rehearsal process with somebody who has limited experience working in the theater? Well, you know, I try to, first of all, I don't like to intimidate anybody about that because they bring their own intimidation level with them. And uh, I enjoy, I enjoy working with actors of different experience. It's part of, one of the things that I really like, I find it challenging. You know, I find it very challenging to work with actors who've never acted, or people, or, or actors who are 50 years old and just starting to act. You know, or um, you know, or stars who have a yearning to grow because their lives are spent in the trailer. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. I mean, it, 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 I mean every life has drawbacks, and everybody has reasons to grow. And I enjoy the challenge of, of getting performances out. I don't like when people come in with their performances or any. You know, or like people who are. You know, I was thinking about you know some some well, I won't mention any names, but some of the like more celebrated people who are not you know who obviously kind of come in and they're like they have their thing already and they they're they're, they're going to do their thing and that's that's what it is. I, I like working with people and shaking it up a little bit. When you go into casting, do you have particular people in mind, or are you? Well, yeah, we have it now. Mm-hmm. You know, if I have particular people in mind, then I just call them up, right? <laughs> you know, and, and ask them. If you want they want to be in it, uh, or you know, meet them, or I don't do. I try not to do too many auditions because I know a lot of people. So I prefer working with people that I know, or that I like, or that I've had good experiences with. And that's part of the um, part of the joy of growing. Because you like to grow with people that you enjoy working with. You know, that's sort of thing you grow. And then you have a fight and you don't work together, and then you just get back together. It's like mar- it's like marriage. It's like if, if you have artists, they, like it's like designers or, or, or whoever. You, you know, I have relationships with people that I that I love that are like my family, so I enjoy being with them. So when we work together, it's pleasant. So you, you let's say you've got a new play that you're interested in, and um, you want to meet with a playwright, and Tell us about the courtship. I mean, how many meetings do you have with play that you're really excited about? I'm very, I'm decisive. You know what I mean? And I don't like meeting people all. So I don't do a lot of meetings. I do very few meetings. I don't go to readings because I hate readings. So I don't attend readings. I just don't like them. If I do readings, I'll do one for myself, like in my office or something. And because I just find them, I, you know, when I first started, I got, you know, I get invited to every reading. And, then, like, you know, you go to somebody's reading, and then the other eight others that you can't attend hate you. So I just kind of thought, but I don't go to readings. That's my thing. So I can keep all my friends. But uh, uh, but I don't really do, I don't, you know, honestly, I have very few meetings with, with writers. Because uh, I'm an artist myself, and I spend, I like to spend 
half my time creating. My other half of my time I do my producing stuff. Uh, Ian, who's my associate, you know, wrangles the writers. He does a lot of work with the writers and uh, meeting people. And I meet the people like if a play really strikes me, then I'll I'll want to sit down and talk to somebody because then I really have something to talk about. But unless I really love something, I, I, I don't I don't seek out or support people or and my feeling is this, if you don't want to have your play done here then don't come, you know. <laughs> I don't uh, I don't court people. Or like say I really want to do your play then do your play. No. Okay. There's a lot of theaters out there I'm like, okay, those are the things that were have you gotten your reverse process with somebody that you felt good about but then you found they were too overly protective of their work. Um, well, first-time writers are usually like that. That's usually the thing. And, you know, it's, it's always hard for the first-timers. They're like, you know, it's like the first time, I don't know, of anything really scary. You know, uh, their emotions are, you know, I, I try to be forgiving, you know, of, of the kind of stress of a first-time writer. Um, but, no, I, I, you know, because it's the same sort of thing. Like, I, I try to, if I'm going to work with a writer, I try to be honest with the writer and say, look, Either you want to do it with me or you don't want to do it with me. And if you want to do it alone, go do it somewhere else, you know? Or, you know, I try to, I try to be very upfront about it and, and prepare people, you know, for the fact that it's a, theater's a collaborative art form. You know, a lot of writers act like, oh, that it's all about the writer. But I, personally, I'm a director, and I think it's half about the director, you know? So I like to, uh, I believe, you know, otherwise, like, what am I there for? What is the director there for? To just kind of serve a play? Without any sort of point of view or emotional connection to it, that sounds very academic to me, and I don't I don't work that way. I only work on I only work on things where I feel like I'm creating it with somebody, you know, so that I feel that I can, you know, I'm there for a reason. Otherwise, I'm just there to kind of be like a academic sort of give it a set and move the people around, you know, vessels for the word sort of thing. Like I hate theater. Like personally, I don't like don't want to show. So I don't like doing things like that or working with you like that. So I try to be very clear that at the new group it's collaborative and you know the process is you know it's a collaborative process. And they don't like it, I trust that they would Speaking of first time writers, Arthur Miller. Well of course what what is it? I'm I'm being Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But was he in on the rehearsal process? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that was a devast- that, that was wonderful. That was a devastating experience for me because I had I was working on a movie and it was going for the that play was going to go to Broadway and I couldn't do it. It was it was because I had because I had already committed to something else and it was, it was a bizarre. Uh, but that was an incredible experience. But I thought that Arthur got mad at me when I couldn't do it in the, in the schedule that we had that we made up since. But um, it, it, it was uh, it was an incredible. He was there every day. He was one of the easier writers. He was he was very collaborative. Very, very collaborative. And I was, of course, at first intimidated. But then, like, he took on this persona, like, he was like my grandfather. It was really sweet. It was like a, I don't know, there was a kind of a connection. You know, we're both, I know we had a lot in common, you know, even though we were a lot in, in a lot of in different in things. So I felt immediately relaxed. And he was, um, oh, I don't know, I can remember sitting around the table with the actors and just saying, let's cut this one, let's get rid of this. He's like, sure, sure, whatever. You know, because he, he knew that I had a vision for the thing. He knew I had a vision for the play, and he went with it. So that was really good. I had some good pictures of that. <laughs> and, I, and I really love it. He's a great man. He really, really, really is. 
And I, I really enjoyed working on something with him that wasn't something like one of his old plays, you know. His son wasn't really that interested in doing the eight million revival of, you know, one of the other ones. So it was fun to work on something that I had never read or seen or, you know, had no clue about it. There was no, and it was really bizarro play. I mean, it was truly a bizarre play. But um, it was, uh, it ended up being rewarding and, and ultimately I didn't see the, the, the one that was on Broadway because I was so jealous that I couldn't put my production on Broadway. But I just, uh, well. Do you ever go see uh, other productions of plays you originally directed? You know, I don't think I have actually. No, I don't think so. No. Uh, talk, would you talk a little bit about your early rehearsal process, the improv that you, that you do with the women? Well, I, everyone is different. Every rehearsal process that I do is different. It's not, I mean, the women had like 26 women. You know, it was a whole other sort of rehearsal process. You know, um, uh, yeah, I mean, every play that I do, I, I approach, you know, from a different emotional place. And, and, and sometimes I do a lot of, you know, improvisational stuff, and sometimes I do less. It depends on the you know how I, the vibe that I get from the cast or how quickly they're growing together or how quickly you know because every ensemble obviously is different and it is a it is a sort of thing in growing people together and I try to be I try to be very very careful about the kind of people that I grow together but until you actually get them in the room together you never really know you know how the how it's gonna how it's gonna come together as an ensemble or who kind of work or who's gonna need more work or who's a greedier actor or who's more generous actor or who's you know. You can get to learn people's tricks and stuff like that, and that's basically how I do it. I try to kind of observe it a little bit at the beginning, get a vibe for how it is, and I, I move in, in, in different directions with everything that I do. Because everything that I do is when I when you read that list of the things I've done, I was like, wow, this guy is you know he, he, does, he does so many different things. But I, I guess it's just because I I really do pick things that I respond to at that given moment. You know that I don't I don't over plan sorts of things that I do, but stuff that I have a, you know, some sort of a visceral sort of thing for, uh, so every rehearsal process is different. I mean, in the women, it was particularly <coughs> challenging and interesting and fun because, um, you know, with just so many people, it was like a, it was like a sixth grade class, you know, it was like a gigantic group of, of people in one room, so that was kind of thrilling. And it wasn't a musical, so it wasn't like you know the the chorus was going to learn dances down the hall, and this was but it was everybody in this one room. It was, and it ended up being such a fabulous, it was a great time, it was a great time, it was so much fun. It was, it was, our first rehearsal was nine ten, so I after all that work, I was like, oh shit, now I'm never going to get to do the women. I've been like working on it for a year, and it's down to tubes. But then like a couple of days later, we ended up going into it, and oddly enough. Some sort of psychology thing happened, and it was kind of what the world wanted at that moment. But it ended up being a very big financial success. Well, actually, I had a question about that. Just take us back just for a second about what went through your mind when you found out what was happening. Because you had, I mean, you had rehearsal, you had rehearsals for women that morning. You were on the phone to your board members. Um, right. How did you? How did you? I don't remember. No, I saw it. I saw it happen. The way it happened. So like, I was kind of, and I, and I, I completely like, just I was like, what was that? You know, I kind of went home. I was getting ready for rehearsal. I mean, I was like, wow, that's freaky. Wow. And then I kind of 
I just put this rehearsal thing. I, wrote, I was on my bike and I rode home, took a shower, <laughs> ready to go to work. I remember they had that equity meeting that day, so I got to go there late because the equity rep comes and talks to the cast of every show at the very beginning. So the director comes to come an hour late. And, um, and then the stage manager called. Everybody called and turned the television on. It was weird because I, I saw it happen, but I didn't immediately come home and start fixing. And it was, uh, I guess I was shocked. But yeah, then the board never say. And then just a couple of days later, and started. Right? Yeah. Hey, why do you start the next day? I remember. And I was like, you know, I don't think those chicks are going to be happy about starting today. I'll take a day off. It worked out. People were scattered, but you know, you, you and Todd really worked together. Yeah, well, it was a, you know, it was a good, uh, it was an interesting challenge. It was another challenge. But it ended up, I think, you know, brought us together even closer. Probably, we were so. We had to do this show, which was the women of all things, and uh, uh, at this time of, of such emotional turmoil in the world, so, uh, it ended up being very positive. Yeah. Okay, that's a few more questions, and we'll open it up to uh, Q and A. Let's talk about revivals for a second. Last year, I wrote something down that Jeff Kaufman said that I really liked. Revivals are like leftovers. You take something out of the fridge and decide to spice it up to make it presentable. <laughs> you've directed three revivals on Broadway. And considering the familiarity that we have with these three plays through film, their film versions or prior stage incarnations, how do you initially approach working on them? Do you have any trepidation? Well, you know, if you're going to have trepidation, you might as well not do it. You know, so you have to, I just plunge myself into it. I say screw them. You know what I mean? Like, that's my feeling about it. It's just, first of all, I had never seen, two of, two of them I had no, I had never seen before. And the women I had seen the movie, which and the movie was very different than the play. Was, when I read the play, it seemed like a different kind of thing. So I just kind of, um, you know, I just did my own thing. Um, and I did it like anything else. Tried to, you know, have a point of view and, you know, get some sort of emotional, you know, content to it if I could. And so you're pretty much giving carte blanche to with the play with whatever you want, if you can have any. In strength from the producers, well, it has to have this element that we're no. familiar with. No, no, I never did. I'm lucky that way. No, not even, no, 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 just uh, with pre with casting, just like people wanting names. But every producer wants it. Uh, one of the one of the uh, topics that we're exploring tomorrow is using digital media, and I wanted to ask you about the internet. Has the internet affected you as an artistic? Director, do you do you look at you know the internet chat rooms? See what people are saying about shows that you're producing. No. Use it as a resource. No, I, I guess the internet. Uh, you know, well, we have a website, and I think that people can buy tickets on the internet now. And there's a lot of different um, ways you can get the word out to young younger audiences through the internet. And I guess discount. I don't really do that stuff. There's somebody in the office that does that, but. Um, I know that it exists, <laughs> but I don't. Uh, I don't necessarily read the internet because the internet is just, you know, like as an artist, you know, you can read. You know, for me, it's like I always think, like, you know, people write things on there. I just don't. I don't really read the internet, like stuff about the work or chat rooms or anything like that. Um, uh, that seems like. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I I appreciate what it does. You know, for the theater community and for the art community, that it gives people a voice, and which I think is a really good thing. But it's the same thing, like like press, 
it's like, you know, you read through a right about you, you read 800 different variations on one thing that you do. So you can go from somebody liking it to some loving it and saying it's, you know, the Messiah to somebody saying that it's the worst thing they'd ever seen. And so you, you, you have to kind of, as an artist, when you go through it, like I've been through it so much, so when you go, when you, when you go through it for a while, you realize that you have to kind of you compartmentalize that part of, of the of, of the thing. Otherwise, you get wrapped up into it. So I, I don't go on the online and read. I mean, I, I read the newspapers, you know, and, and I, I look at sometimes the trade paper, variety or something like that, but mostly don't use the internet as a resource. Although I know that the theater company does, and they get the word out to a lot of the things. And our audience, our younger audience, has increased as a result of it. So I think that's a very positive thing. And I use it for, obviously, you know, to look up actors or that I don't know, or um, directors or writers. Uh, you know, somebody says, "Go look at this on the net," or look at that on the net. I, I love that, and I use it for research, which is great. You, know, you, you don't really have to go to the library anymore. It's, it's that's kind of nice to be able to kind of do your work and have your work and not have to be quiet and play music in the back. You know, <laughs> I enjoy I enjoy doing research on the internet uh, for stuff that I can find anything there. You know, very much. So yeah, I think it's, it's, a, it's a good thing. Cuts down on the transportation fee. <laughs> okay. Okay. Q and A. Joe, do you want to bring up the house plan? Yeah, we're going to do that. Hello. Okay. More questions. So, uh, who's got a question? Joe. I said I would call you first. What? Oh. Okay, now we're going to have a question here. Okay. Hi. Um, as you plan a show, especially something like women, uh, how much pre-planning in terms of the patterns of movement and the word blocking, and how much freedom do you <coughs> how much freedom do you give the actors? Uh, well, I never pre-block. Like I don't, I didn't go to school to learn how to do that, so I never write down my blocking or anything like that. I kind of do it organically. Because to me, like to impose it on the actors, they don't like that. They like to feel like they're contributing as an artist, just like we like to feel like we're contributing as artists. So I think it's, personally, I don't think that that's wrong, because a lot of people work that way. I'm just giving you my own opinion. Uh, that I, I enjoy getting into the room and letting it, a scene evolve organically. I try to hire intelligent people. You know, I talk to people when I hire them. I talk to them more than I listen to them read. And uh, I enjoy, um, uh, working on it together, collaboratively. And I think, ultimately, you get better, the actors are happier, and you get better work out of them, because they feel as though they've contributed. So I don't do any pre-blocking of anything. I think through ideas in my mind, and I think through some things that I want to achieve, but I try to achieve them in a way that isn't, you do this and you do that. I try to achieve it in a way where I respect the artists that I'm working with, otherwise I wouldn't work with them. And, uh, and appreciate what they can bring to it. And that goes in, in pre-production as far as design as well. You know, I, 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 preach, I only hire or work with people that I admire or feel that I want to get to know or am excited about working with. So that's, the part, the, that's where the real thing is, is putting together your team of your actors and your designers and letting them also you know, express themselves. So I, I never pre-law. When I was an actor, I hated that. <laughs> and 
I, I truly, I, I hated it. I hated it. <laughs> and I felt like, like, well, why am I, what am I, you know, why am I doing it? What am I doing? You know, I, just, I, I didn't enjoy that experience. So I based my own direct, because I never went to directing school, I based my own process on what I liked and didn't like about being an actor. Yes? something is like in development, like usually the writers are honest, to be quite frankly, they'll come in and they'll say, look, I've been working with this director, but I don't want to work with them anymore. And most of them say that. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's a, you know, uh, that was, that's something that I found uh, kind of interesting, you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely, like if I, oh yeah, totally, yeah, yeah, if somebody's been with somebody for a while and working on something, I would never want to fire them. I only do that when the writer, I let the writer, because ultimately, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, like I say, I have guidelines that I have to be responsible, like if I have a really unknown writer, I can't have a really unknown director at the moment, just because of the economy and because I know that I have to be able to draw, unless I think that the play is going to draw a cast that people are going to come in to see. Because ultimately, nobody's happy, then the writer's play is not intended, and the writer goes home miserable. And it's just like not you know it's not a happy it's not a happy time, but uh, yeah I uh, yeah totally would absolutely yeah. I have and I, I have done that. yeah. What particularly upset you about in the theater? Yes. You mean about uh, why I'm in the theater or what I go to the theater? When I'm looking for plays, well, what I said it's a, it's basically a, like if I have a, if I the first thing I do is. Was I moved in some way? I don't mean moved to tears. Sometimes I moved to laughter. You know, was I emotionally engaged in some way? Was I happy to turn the pages? Because most of the time, I can't get past page ten or fifteen. It's like you know, I, you know. So uh, if I get past ten or fifteen, I'm excited. And then if I get into the second act, you know, I'm I'm happy. I don't mean it's it's just a matter of time. You know, I would love to do nothing but read all day. I love reading, but it's just a time thing. And um, and then ultimately, when I put it down, like did it stay with me? I guess is what happens. So I wake up the next day and have it stay with me. Like I just saw a documentary movie last night. It was this movie premiere of this thing capturing the Freedmans. Have you heard about it? Did you read about it? Yeah. The I I can't shake it. It's the sort of thing like I saw it and I, I so it's very disturbing. I couldn't shake it. So sometimes I, I read these plays and I can't shake them for some reason or another because I can really only you know. Uh, I have to be passionate about the things I'm going to produce or direct, you know, uh, because it takes so much work to raise that money, you know, and it, so you have to ultimately feel like you're putting it into something that you're passionate about. Like I say, sometimes it works in the minds of the world, and sometimes they don't work. But ultimately, I'm proud. I'm, I'm always proud of them for some reason, and uh, and that's how how, how I. Someone with a background in musical theater, do you want? But I have a real background in life. Yes, you do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, do I want to do musicals? Well, I just did this Kiki and Herb Foodie Teatro thing right. that I really love doing. That was my first musical. And I'm, I'm developing a musical um, 
uh, at the uh, at the roundabout, and then we do uh, a revival. Well, I probably shouldn't say what it is yet. No, eight. Why don't I direct No, 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 no. Uh, actually, I'm doing. I'm going to do the Three Penny Opera, oh. and uh, it's being uh, translated and adapted by Wallace Shawn. Wallace Shawn, who also wrote it in England, so he's he's translating it from German and doing a new adaptation of it. But I'm not going to do it until 2004, 2002. We're going to do a workshop on it next year, like. So that's what I'm doing because that felt like the right kind of musical. For me personally, I, I like I like it. Uh, I like the story, and I like the writing. And I love the songs. We'll see. Hopefully, that will. That will but it's been conditioned, and we're working on it. So great. So I'm doing that, and then uh, and I'm doing this movie musical for those suckers. So that's going to be old music. No old music, and new music. Correct. Yes. What's your process for preparing a new project? Well, it's always different. Like it's that sort of thing. Like I, you know, every like I, when, after you do enough of them, you start to let go. That's what I said. You know, you let go and you kind of say, okay, every one of them is different because every team of people is different. You know, like you have a different writer with a different kind of personality, and a different tone of play. You know, the designers. You know, whatever. Uh, so it it all, it all varies. It, it really it really does. I mean, when I personally emotionally. Like you or you know, privately start preparing something. I I think about it a lot, but this it's a sort of thing that I I because like I say, it's I, I respond to things I can't shake. Sometimes I feel really heartbroken that we don't have the room to do things, or I don't have the personal time to do some things that I really love and have to not do them. But uh, I just you know I, I spend a lot of my time obsessing <laughs> about uh, about my work. You know, and that's basically my process. It's, a, it's one big obsession, crazy, you know, things. Hang out with you, go pet the cats. You know, uh, no. Uh, what do I do? I don't know. I just think about. I think a lot. You know, I just I think I, I think a lot. I think about the work and what I'm trying to say. I think about, you know, why am I? Why do I feel passionate about telling that particular story? You know, because uh, it's all about the story and why. Like I, I often try to figure out like why do I respond to this? You know, what is you know what is what's in me so that then I can bring that into the rehearsal room or bring that into the performances because a lot of times when I read things I relate to them like there's something about it that I relate to that's why I have I guess, a response to it because there's something about it that I relate to so I try to figure that out because ultimately that's the story that I'm gonna that is gonna be my point of view of this work. And that has to be, you know, a lot of writers don't believe that, but there has to have a point. There has to be a point of view, and it's the director's job really to kind of help the writer figure that out, you know. Uh, and so I do a lot of that, you know, thinking about the point of view, and whose story is it, you know, or, or you know, because you ultimately have to tell the story through some sort of something, you know. So I, I spend a lot of time thinking. You know, reading things, if I think something's going to get me going, or, you know, research if it's something that I don't know a lot about, or I try to, I try to always, well, this is personal, but I, I always try to, uh, you know, relate it to something that's, that's kind of happened to me, or that I've secret of my own, or 
that's when I think my when I think that my work is my best work, which is not always everybody's idea of what my best work is or whatever, is when I look at it and I feel almost embarrassed by it. Because there's something in it that is secret to me or uh, I'm telling something about myself through something or other. It's like a subtext. And um, 
Uh, and I, I've been thinking about that lately, now that it has a distance from it. And I think I would have done something much simpler. And I was thinking, I would, you know, like if I was going to do it, I would have used, um, I would have done something photographic and, and kind of simple and, you know, and, and didn't, you know, and, and looked at the play a little bit more poetically that way. Yeah, like that kind of thing. I mean, I understood what they were doing, which is why I approved the set. I thought it was fascinating to look at. It was such a great work of art, I thought. It was like a uh, Greek amphitheater slash mountain. It was, in, it was an interesting idea, but ultimately difficult and, in my opinion, not the best design play. Even though that's the designer I work with all the time, Derek McClain, but I wasn't, um, I wasn't directing it at the beginning, and I thought that they had a thing that they were going to be doing, and ultimately, it, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I've read a number of times that you've been a director who's been called a director who has moxie. And I was wondering if you could tell us about how the curtain call for the women came about. <laughs> well, that was so bizarrely controversial. It's so cute. Um, <laughs> you didn't see the show. <laughs> but, can I tell you? Yeah, yeah, sure. It's just that the curtain call was performed uh, with a, a, a white backdrop, pretty much a bare stage. The entire cast dressed in lingerie designed by Isaac Johnny. And it's lingerie. Right. And and bubbles in the back. <laughs> I just thought it was fun, you know, like to me I thought like uh, they were such fabulous looking women and it would be great to see them in their underwear. I thought it would be fun. And it was kind of a you know, like like it, there was a kind of well, I mean I just found that the, that curtain call like one of those things, but it was funny. But sometimes, you know, like they, they say things about me that really aren't, like they make me into this thing where I'm really controversial, when I'm really not, you know, they, they make this whole certain thing about you, but I guess that's what keeps, you know, people interested, but um, I just kind of did it for a fun thing, I thought it would be, uh, it would be great for Isaac to have the opportunity to design period underwear, the women were gay, they weren't, you know, fighting it in any way, they enjoyed it, and so it was one of those things that, uh, that I thought would be a kind of fun, frothy way to end a fun, frothy, fun, frothy. And so uh, I didn't. I really wasn't doing it to shock. I, I honestly thought it was cute. I didn't think people were shocked by it. Some people were actually shocked by it. I mean, I've done plays with stuff in it that I think people would be shocked by, but this was not in any way shocking. I just I was surprised at the, uh, at the kind of how people were like stunned by it, or, or how people responded to the fact that some women were in sticks, you know, and that they were actually women out there in their underwear who had bodies. You know what I mean? And I thought, wow, how old-fashioned. And most of the people that I issues with that were women. So it was kind of interesting to me to kind of hear that kind of point of view on it, people telling me that, oh, how could you do that to those women? I was, I was like, hello, why? You know, like, they go to the beach. You know what I mean? They're not, they go, you know, they, you know, they, you know nobody, nobody said no. And if somebody had said, I really don't want to do this, I wouldn't have worked anymore. Wasn't like I had to. I think if I would have said let's do a game, it would have been. I should have tried that next time. That'll be the next women revival. In like 20 years, I'll do it again. I think the audience All members. New yeah, the audience members being shocked is part of the fun. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. You have to do both, in a sense. 
sense because the agents get mad if you don't include them. So you want to include, I always include the agents. If I have a relationship with the actor already, or I know the actor, then I'll always call them directly and call the agent. Like I tell the agent I'm calling you directly. But if you ever feel that agents get in the way, Oh yeah, always. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially, well, maybe not on Broadway, although sometimes on Broadway, but certainly at the new group. I mean, the agent doesn't want, you know, you know, the client who makes money to make $300 a week for three months. But I try to explain to all the agents that it's good for them. And it's good for the agents to not make money at home. But it's, uh, <laughs> they don't believe me, but I do tell them. But, uh, but no, it's, it is, it, I think that, yeah, it, it is, it's a pain in the neck, you know, sometimes to kind of deal with the agents. Because ultimately, what they really want is money. Even though they kind of save that career or whatever or stuff like that, it really ultimately, well, I think, will down to a check. And, you know, their, their agency, because that's their livelihood in there. So I, I keep in that perspective. Um, but I always do, I keep home. You know, it depends if I know the agent and I think the agent's a jerk, then I just only can call the agent, I'll just call the actor and say, I think your agent's a jerk. You know, I'm not calling them. But I, you know, just, you have to be honest to deal with people. And I, I refuse to deal with, you know, uh, people on the telephone who are going to be yelling or something like that. That's just not, it's not a way to live your life. The new group, are you doing the calls very much? Or are you doing oh, yeah. I do the calls. Yeah, I'm not on the telephone. Level. Or the you know, I'm a casting director who calls the agent sometimes for me or whatever, I don't like calling the agent. But if it's a if it's a well known actor, often I'll call the agent directly. Or if I know I know a lot of the I know all of the agents, so I just call them up and tell them to you know call them directly. Yeah, you know, it, 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 I do, I do both. And if I don't know them then I'll call the agent up and I'll say, Look, I really want so and so to read this, you know, okay, he's <laughs> I do all sorts of things. But you deal with sometimes you sometimes I realize at the end of the day that I I spend an entire day really doing more mad. You know, because there's a lot of mad people around me, you know, like who are just, you know, leaving. So I try to, you know, keep that in perspective also that, you know, I have to accept people for who they are and if somebody's gonna be screaming at me on the other end of the phone because I want some actor to read a script, then you know, I have to accept that they're gonna be screaming at me and, uh, I don't I'm embarrassed for people that work in theater in LA like that. I'm embarrassed for them. 
<laughs> no, I think it's terrible. I, you know, because I bust my ass all the day trying to do this theater here, and it's very, very difficult. I can't imagine if I did that, and then like some actor was saying, "Oh, I, I, you know, I'm going to be on, you know, uh, whatever, Crossing Jordan tonight." See ya. You know, it's like uh, crazy. You know, and they double cast. How do you get? How do you get a, a show together? And to, 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 for people who are paying for it. You know, to give the people who are paying for an experience, because hello, there's an audience out there who are paying for tickets, you know, who are coming here for an experience. So to have like these double casts where like, you know, oh, tonight uh, so-and-so is going to be on, that one's going to be on, that one's going to be out, this is going to be on for, you know, a little play like that. It's just, it's not good for the play, it's not good for the other actors, it's not good for the actors who don't get the TV work, you know, it's uh, <laughs> kind of bogus. Do you, do you still live there? Yeah. Yeah, well, good thing. No, I like LA. I do. I work there. I like it. You know, and I have a lot of friends who live there. But I, I think this, the theater scene there needs a makeover. It wants to do it. Oh, yeah. I've already done my, my time. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, somebody's raising up. So, yeah, but go ahead. But they definitely are different jobs. But I enjoy it. I have a great support system of people. I have a wonderful, wonderful support system of people in my life who are uh, who have who came to me because they liked my work. And so it's a I have wonderful I'm like I'm very lucky. It's like it was true true people from heaven came down and helped me a lot in many ways. So I, I do have a good support system. You know, it's funny, like, I, I love, I'm not a work, I wouldn't call myself a workaholic because I don't do it to escape my life, but I love my job, so I I don't mind working on it from the minute I wake up in the morning until I pass out. Truly, I just love my job. I just love every element of it. I love the, 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 the pain, difficult part of it, which is often comes along with it, and I love the, the fun, joyous part of it. I, I, I really love my job. I feel blessed to have a job where I can, you know, be an artist and make a living friends and these same encounters. <laughs> what, do you, uh, what do you despise the most as a director? What do I despise the most? What do you, what do you hate about directing? Oh, what do I hate about directing? What are the, the biggest challenges you have? Well, honestly, one of the hardest things, I was, I was thinking about this recently too, this has nothing to do with directing, it's letting go, you know, cutting the apron strings, you know, of the, after I actually work on something, having to kind of let let go of it, in a sense, let the control go. Let, let the actors take over and see managers kind of go away. That's always difficult, sort of. You know, I feel, I, I always say if I direct three or four things a year that I, that I have, it's like having three or four postpartum depressions, I imagine. You know? <laughs> I always find that very, the emotional drop uh, of having to let go of something, especially when I have a great, you know, I love it, I love it, I have a really, really hard time, which I love most of my experiences, letting go. And um, on the work end, uh, I find a great deal of joy in challenges, so I don't, I think nothing that I, 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 love, I, love, I love every bit of it. One more question? Well, that guy in the back. That, that guy in the back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I see you. Correct, yes. I have a long-term, long-time assistant who's been with me from the very, very beginning, who's my dear friend. So no, I don't. Unless she one day decides she doesn't want to do it anymore. 
but she's my uh, my assistant and has been with me for forever. And she's a really, really close friend of mine. So I don't. I mean, we have a, I have like like observer um, sometimes those sorts of uh, assistant types, but no, I, I just have somebody in my life that I really I, I get off on being with. And he's a really good friend. I, I get a lot of letters about them, uh, having a, you know people wanting to assist. With that, what does an assistant do? Um, for me, it's like nice to have somebody there who knows me so well and knows my work so well that she advises me when I'm on or off sometimes. Or she, or she, you know, uh, if I have a question about something about my own, she's there as a sounding board for me, basically. She doesn't take notes. I don't have an assistant, like, whisper notes. I take my own notes. You know, uh, I don't like people writing for me. You know, um, I have her there to, to help me. Or if I, you know, if I if there's somebody in the cast who needs a little extra TLC, she's very good at that too. She's very good at, um, you know, just kind of, you know, she's she's there when I need her and not there when I don't. It's a, it's a, she, we have a very good relationship. She has another career, so sometimes she's not even there at rehearsal. So she's, she's a soap star. <laughs> Is that funny? I don't, I don't, I don't know if you've ever taken a single note. I'm always amazed. Yeah, I don't take a lot of notes. Although, like during previews, like I watch the show, then I go home and take notes. But I can't watch and write. I have art notes. But I can remember. I have a good memory so far. But I, I definitely do that. Yeah. Where do you see the new group in ten years? Where do you see yourself in ten years? Oh. <laughs> well, the new group, I don't know. I mean, we're just getting ready to kind of get our own space. So that's uh, an interesting kind of next. Days. I don't really know. I mean, I, it surprises me every year, so I can't. I can't even say where I see it. I don't know. I don't know where I see myself. That's a hard question. Okay. <laughs> well, it's been great having you, and it's a great way to start off the symposium. Thank you, Thank you for listening to Masters of the Stage. This program was made possible by support from the Stage Directors and Choreographers Society, the National Labor Union celebrating five decades representing the needs and aspirations of its members.